Hi, I'm Brady Breeze, safety for the Detroit Lions, and you're listening to The Only Playbook. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Only Playbook. Man, it feels like it's been forever. This is episode 55. The draft is over and we're here to talk all about it. We got the five best and the five worst overall drafts, as well as the five best individual picks and the five best or worst individual picks in the 2022 NFL draft. Again, we're the only playbook. I'm sweet car. I got Shashot Shovit. Uh, been too long guys. Forgot what you guys look like. I just saw you like three days ago, bro. <laughs> bro. They don't need to know that the viewers don't know shit. <laughs> they don't know when I saw you, uh, but it does feel weird not having it talked about NFL for like a couple of weeks. Um, but it's okay. Because again, we let all the, you know, the mainstream, uh, PFF, uh, NFL.com, CBS, get all their crap out. And then we've actually had time to like think dissect and like let this seep in. And so all of our responses are just much more calculated and not emotional. So uh, I think that's going to be uh, much more appreciated. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, again, all the support so far has been incredible. We're everywhere. All the podcast platforms that you could listen to if you're watching or watching on YouTube, uh, social media everywhere, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at The Only Playbook. So thank you guys so much for all of the support. Let's jump into the information. Shashot, I'm going to let you start us off here. You went above and beyond and got even deeper into the weeds and you went individual picks. So you have the five best picks of your opinion of the entire draft and the five worst picks of the entire draft. So uh, take it away, man. All right, we'll start with the worst and end with a nice little uh, happy note with all the best. So first and foremost, Quay Walker, Georgia linebacker. Uh, with its 22nd overall pick, Green Bay chose him. Uh, you know, a lot of people might be happy with this pick, but there's many reasons for me to not be excited about this. Um, it's, just, it's just, you know, it may be another year, but it's the same old story for Green Bay who perennially ignore the receiver position. When you have arguably the greatest quarterback of all time and you're unwilling to fill in those needs with some of these elite level talent in the receiver position still open, and you're going with Quay Walker, who is just as good as, you know, uh, his counterpart on that, team to Kobe Dean who got who fell um it really makes you wonder like why Green Bay why you already have you know you already signed Devontae uh Campbell you did lose an edge rusher but you still have you know a solid linebacker core you clearly don't have wide receiver help so it it, just a just a big big question mark on why they went here he's got the talent they like to say he's raw I hate that word but I like that word right now because it fits my narrative He's a very raw prospect, and it's going to take him a while. He's not going to be an immediate play and play every down player. So knowing that, knowing Aaron Rodgers has already pissed off Devontae Adams, you know, the whole story behind that and how he didn't know he was going to be leaving, this is a win now time. I, I know we don't say that very often for a team like Green Bay. It's like they always win, but there's a lot of turmoil going on, and they want to win now. Things need to happen now. There's a lot of pointing fingers happening, and you go with like a longevity player as your 22nd overall pick. I don't like that. That's a bad pick. Yeah, forty. Uh, he's 46 on the consensus overall big board. So kind of a right. reach. Yeah, he's got he's got a lot of raw talent. That, that's what the people like. But a team like Green Bay, it just doesn't make sense. Um, okay, and the second pick, uh, I guess the fourth pick, fourth worst pick for me, is Cole Strange, center from UT Chattanooga. The only thing stranger than this in the last two weeks has been the Doctor Strange movie. I should all go check that out. We are not sponsored, but you should go check it out. Uh, New England selected him with the 29th overall pick. Again, 
there was a lot of room for improvement there. Uh, I understand they did need some help in the offensive line um, area, but there's not a lot of history coming from UT Chattanooga as a successful first round draft school. Uh, even, you know, Terrell Owens came from there, but he wasn't a first round pick. Um, so it's just, there's a lot of question marks as far as this player, particularly he's got the talent. Um, but you know, and, and also doubting Bill Belichick is never, it's always bad for business when you go down that road. Uh, but it is fair to question his decision on drafting a small school lineman, uh, when he did. And because they could have accumulated more picks moving down and selecting him in a later round, he was going to be available most likely. Um, so there's a lot of question marks there. He's going to be 24 years old as well. So it's like, they're not getting a fresh youngster. It's like, they got a, they almost have a veteran already coming in. If you really think about it, when you think about it from a lineman perspective. So, uh, again, a lot of question marks there. Do you guys have any questions about this pick? No, he's the, he was the biggest reach by far. Um, you guys saw the Sean McBay, <laughs> Sean McBay video where him and yeah. I forget who it was, but they yeah. like laughed. And Sean McBay was like, yeah. man, I did all this research on him thinking we're going to get him at 101. And so that just gives you an idea <laughs> of where, where the consensus board was. They ranked him 86th overall. And, it, and it's, a, it's a combination of things, right? Like you said, they could have yeah. traded down, acquired more picks. They could have literally waited and probably reached on him in the second round because that even would have right. been a reach. So why, why take a player that arguably nobody has this high up when you know, like you can still get him if you just, you know, take him in the second round even. That's even a reach, but at least it's a little bit more justifiable. Yeah, you're right in the sense that you can never doubt Bill Belichick, but Bill Belichick almost like outsmarted himself because if he's thinking value, he would have been able to take Strange wherever he wanted um, and still gotten, you know, immediate impact players in the first round. So definitely, definitely questionable. I couldn't even find highlight reels of this guy. I was trying to find videos after every draft. Hopefully, I mean, it, maybe it's one of these Bill Belichick things or whatever, but I think that, like, whatever they – however way they drafted, if they would have just done that draft in the next round, they would have probably got those players. And it's they, it was a lot of reaching on all fronts, not just around one, but round two and yeah. round three as well. Yeah, if any other team were to do it, they would be crucified right now. But it's the Patriots, so we're going to have to wait and see. Uh, so, okay, so I think the third worst pick uh, in this draft, I'm going to go with Alante Taylor, Tennessee from cornerback. The Saints got him with a 49th overall pick. Um, you know, I think this was one of the worst moves of the second round just overall. Uh, versatility was his main, main selling point. He can play uh, corner or safety, which is cool. It's cool to think about, you know, having that opportunity. But he lacks the upside that teams generally covet in this, like, top 50 selection area he doesn't have the skill to be a one of the best cornerbacks or be one of the best safeties so how does how does versatility help you there I don't know maybe an NFL team can uh soup him up but you know it, I, I wanted him to go with a more traditional safety approach uh fellow second rounder Brian Cook was available or, um he was drafted in the same round um he would have fit in well because they just lost Marcus Williams they could have had like a legit safety to come fill in for a you know, legit safety. And now they're going to have to go with a guy that we don't know if he, what position he's going to play. It seems like a waste of a pick instead of a secure pick in the first two rounds. They went with the kind of an iffy pick in the first two rounds. You never go iffy picks in the first two rounds. And we're going to see how that plays out. But, um, you know, they have a lot of other holes too. They could have went with N'Kobe Dean or Troy Anderson, and they just went with a Swiss Army knife that is not really good at either of those things. <laughs> That's kind of, that's depressing to think about. He's like, oh, he's a Swiss army knife because he can play both positions, but he doesn't play either position 
very well, right? 98 on the consensus board. PFF actually had this guy ranked 138th on their big board, right? So for him to go 49th overall, like you said, the first two rounds, you're looking for like, you know, plug and play or like immediate mm-hmm. impact players. And he just is not one. So um, I'll touch more on the saints. Cause they're definitely on one of my lists as well. So we'll hit, we'll hit hard on uh, Alante Taylor a little bit more, but I, I'm definitely in agreement with you. Okay, cool. I got two more for the worst. And then I'm going to zoom through the best. Cause they're pretty, there's reasons why they're the best. Um, but anyways, uh, this, you know, I guess the fourth uh, five, four, three, two, I guess the second worst pick would be uh, Tyquan Thornton from Baylor, the wide receiver from Baylor, New England also drafted him with their 50th overall pick. Um, you know, their second pick was arguably even more questionable than their first, uh, because they traded up four spots to select this man with the 50th pick. Uh, it was not only a re- reach because he's, you know, he's a speedster, just a rod speedster Four two eight forty, 40, I think four two eight. Um, but he's widely regarded as a mid round target. That's because he hasn't shown us what it requires to be a number one receiver. He just seems like another Harris from the saints or another Tavon Austin. Like, is that what we want this with your 50th pick? You know, I understand the Patriots have been struggling in that wide receiver position for a long time, but if you're going to make these crazy trades all throughout the first half of the the draft, why didn't you go with more security? Why didn't you pick up? There were so many receivers all over flying around all throughout this draft. And they yet they went with questionable Chattanoogians and wide receivers that are just strictly fast. So, you know, it makes me wonder because Sky Moore, you know, would have been available at New England's original draft spot. And those players are game changers. And now he, now it's Sky Moore is going to be catching touchdowns for Patrick Mahomes, while this man is going to be returning maybe one kick for a touchdown in the next three years. So, um, again, that's why I think that's the second most ridiculous pick from a team that had already made a ridiculous pick earlier in the draft no you're right because he was he was a bigger reach based on consensus board than even cole strange right 145th on the consensus board got drafted 50th you mentioned sky morsha showed george pickens was on the board there for them alec pierce my boy was on the board for them sky Moore, gonna be a stud for mahomes was on the board there uh jalen tolbert on the board and then she showed your dark horse david bell also on the board there so so many ways they could have gone there and for a team, again, let's think about the New England Patriots for a second. Like, what New England Patriots receiver jumps out to you? Like, holy shit, they got a number one. Let's try to build around that guy. None of them. There's not one, right? So why the hell are you getting a project, one-dimensional guy? All he is is fast. That's literally all this guy is. They're drafting based on speed. Again, we don't question Belichick, but when your first two picks could have been taken in the third and fourth or the fourth and fifth round. And then you would have had a very successful draft yet for whatever reason, you decided to take them in the first and second. I mean, I don't give a shit. I'm sorry. If you're Bill Belichick, you're still going to get scrutinized because draft is all about value. And again, he could have still got these players. If he really wanted them, why didn't he just fucking wait? They had eight other picks after the second round. They would have absolutely had the opportunity to get one of these guys um, so I don't know, man. I don't know. And again, the draft's such a crapshoot that who the fuck knows at the end of the day. Right. I mean, every, all of us sat here and talked about Malik Willis and, you know, we saw what happened to him third round. So, uh, nobody truly really knows, but again, there's a reason there's a consensus board that takes every single mock, every single team's mock, uh, every single analyst's mock, and then they consensualize whoever kind of based on averages. Right. And so what majority of people thought is not what Bill Belichick thought, but again, Bill Belichick has all the rings. So at the end of the day, uh, there's a reason he's a different animal. 
Yeah, that's Tom Brady. No, I mean, it, the whole, the, the point is, I mean, you know, when you're doing fantasy drafts, you're not going to reach for a tight end in the second round when like, you know, all the good ones have already been like George Kittle is gone. Um, you know, uh, what's his name? Travis Kelsey. Kelsey. Travis Kelsey. Yeah. These guys are gone. You're not reaching for like a Max Williams or something like that. You just don't do that. So it's weird to see uh, Bill Belichick employ this strategy. Let's see if it works. Bold strategy, Cotton. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Very bold. Very bold. Um, okay. And you guys ready? Drum roll for the dumbest pick of the draft. Oh, um, I already thought you picked so many dumb picks. I can't even decide who the hell you're talking about. Oh, dude, this was so dumb. This is so dumb. Okay, the dumbest pick of the draft goes to the 49ers with the 93rd overall pick, choosing running back Tyron or Tyrion, I don't know how to pronounce it, Davis Price from LSU. All right. You know, LSU running backs, they do pretty well in the NFL. Um, lately, they haven't been doing pretty well. And I'm going to go with the trend and go with the late lease because – before, they had big, mean running backs that would just run down your throat and have all these intangibles. You would see them all over ESPN because they were special. And now we're just popping out Clyde Frogs and um, these guys, these Tyrion Lannisters. So for me, for me, a team like the 49ers, who is built on lateral speed, how many freaking times do I emphasize that? They pick a guy who ran barely just sub 4.45 you know that's not most dirt speed that's not elijah uh what's his name mitchell speed so they're kind of taking a back step they're kind of changing how they operate and i don't know if i like that um you know he did do he did pretty well at the combine uh he is 211 pounds um but again it's 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 a huge question mark i think it's very very stupid because the 49ers have figured it out they were the first team to figure out how to use running backs properly with the proper schemes. And now they're doing something different. So it's hard for me to question them with that regard. But then I see how other teams are trying to be more like the 49ers and the 49ers are not trying to be like themselves. So I'm like, what are you doing 49ers? Why did you pick a fourth or fifth round prospect? This, you know, how are you going to fall in love with a fourth or fifth round prospect when there were so many more running backs still available? That's the part that gets me is like, yeah, the, uh, you know, Cook was gone and everything, but even at that spot, even at the with the 93rd pick, there were still not only more talented, but more proven running backs still on the board. So it makes you wonder, what do you see in them, 49ers? Do, does this mean I take a really, really bad pick gamble late in my fantasy rounds because this is an enigma? Like, this makes no sense. What do they see? What do the 49ers see that I don't see? I don't Nothing. know. They see nothing. They see nothing. He's 234th on the consensus board. And not only what you just said, guys, the 49ers have been like churning running backs over the course of the last couple of years. Listen to their running back depth chart. They literally drafted Elijah Mitchell last year. Okay. And this guy was a stud. So it's, we know running back shelf lives are short and everything, but this dude was a rookie last year. So he's clearly still got longevity. So there's no need for it. He's the clear cut back. They still have Jeff Wilson Jr., Michael Hasty, and then they drafted two years ago Trey Sermon, who's like the opposite mm -hmm. of Elijah Mitchell. Yeah. He's like that big, bigger bruiser guy, right? Which is what this fucking Tyrion Lannister did supposed to be. So, not only not only did they reach like heavily for a running back, they didn't even freaking need a running back. They have so many running backs on their roster, and they run that offense that anybody can come in and play running back. So, there's no need to reach for a running back. It just makes zero sense. 
Yeah. And if you look at the rankings, like you were doing for the other players that we mentioned so far, I can bet you there's probably like seven or eight players better than him ranked over him. So it's like, oh. what are you doing? 234 players to be exact, but <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So that, that rounds off my, uh, the dumbest picks of the draft so far, or, you know, not, this isn't about value. I didn't rank this according to value. I just ranked it according to pure stupidity and what they needed and what they instead chose. Um, okay. So translate over to the other side. Here are the top five best picks. And I used uh, the way I analyzed this is not value. I didn't go by best available because that's an easy list. Everybody can make best available. Then we could put Nicobe Dean as number one, you know, all kinds of weird stuff like that. I went with sheer production, who I believe is going to come into the league and take over the league. So number one or number five, we'll start with five. Number five, Jamison Williams. You're an Alabama product, right? You're coming in to play with a Detroit Lions team, which is improved on so many levels. And they didn't select you with their first pick. They got him with the 12th overall pick. So, you know, well-rounded draft. I'm sure one of some of you guys are going to talk about the Lions draft here shortly. Um, but this man is ready to play. I think, Sweetheart, you might have mentioned him as Will Fuller uh, when we were talking about these players back in the day. Um, but I but I think he's going to be better because he's not as injury prone as Will Fuller. Will Fuller literally has a different designation of injury every single time he pops out on the field. Uh, this man is a little bit more, you know, he did tear his ACL against Georgia in the national uh, title game. But again, you guys have heard how many times I don't care about ACL tears. It doesn't mean anything in this day and age. Um, so yes, he's a linear route runner, record-breaking high school hurdler, uh, smooth route takeoff with instant gas. So it's one of those, Tyreek Hill type of players where I, I don't like gassing people up like that, but when you can stop and go at your, you know, at an instant, that's special. That, that is something that 99.9% .9 of the other NFL players don't have. So that makes you stop and listen. And now you have Amon Ray St. Brown on the other side, uh, add him into the mix. He might be a day three starter. He might be a day one starter. Um, you know, in, in the, in realistically, if the Lions become a good team, he will be playing for this team. If they're a successful team, he will be playing. He will be starting on that team. If the Lions are still average or whatnot, they might shelf him up for this year and uh, make him come back next year because of that ACL tear. But I don't think that's going to hinder him, and I think that was a beautiful pick. So I, I, I like to call this the fifth best pick of the draft. Yeah, I, the, other, the only other reason I also agree is they were able to move out 20 spots against with the division opponent right so yeah. the value in what they did to acquire the 12th pick they still swapped second round picks so it wasn't like they just moved up and they didn't get anything else so that also adds so much value to the jameson williams pick and like we talked about his speed is like that it's it's game breaking game changing speed right it's not just mm -hmm. normal fast it's like tyreek type fast and so yeah anytime you can get a guy like that especially pairing him with the emergence of a guy that's going to, you know, catch everything over the middle and do all the other stuff like Amonri St. Brown's going to do and Hawkinson. I mean, they're building a pretty formidable weapon core. Yeah, they are. They definitely are. All right. Okay. Now with the fourth best pick of this draft, uh, it's going to come at the spot four by the Jets. Uh, Sauce Gardner. Uh, I'm a little shocked, actually. I, I would have taken him three over four. But um, some people like other cornerbacks better than other cornerbacks, and he falls to the Jets. Yes, he went to Cincinnati there. Yes, he didn't play against some of the top-of-the-line players. But, you know, at the end of the day, you, you get what you see from him, and it's just shut down. I, I, I like to dabble on that, and I like to ride that all the way uh, 
to the end of his career because I think he's going to be a stud. He's his comparison was a young Richard Sherman coming out um, and just taking over the league by storm. So I think that's something that I trust. I think a team like the Jets who have struggled at the cornerback position for years, maybe they had their eyes on Stingley. I don't know. But uh, as soon as uh, he was available, as as soon as Sauce was uh, available, they realized we have to take him. We have sucked at this position for a decade or longer since who's the last good cornerback you can think of that was a Jet? Terrell Revis. Terrell Revis. That's a long-ass time ago. It's time to improve on that. Yeah, same time. Yeah, yeah. Cromartie's more longevity, but he wasn't never. He, I, I wouldn't consider him a shutdown guy. He liked to return punts and everything. He was a really good player, but shut down. Like this is a term we don't get to throw around very often. And now the Jets, who are unanimously some of the worst sports teams of all time, just gained a shutdown cornerback. That takes that deserves some notice. Now this will not only improve the defense, but it'll improve the offense by by default because now they're going to have more three uh, three and outs. Uh, forced upon other teams more chances for a younger quarterback to throw to some of his younger weapons this is just good news overall for a team like the Jets and a skill skill set of this kind doesn't come very often he's a tall corner with long limbs sticky hands he's got a blend of confidence and competitiveness that young people just don't have they don't have because they're not sure they're not confident in their abilities this man just walking in here like I'm gonna shut you down I'm gonna shut you down I'm gonna shut you down whether that happens or not I don't care I like to hear that from him and I like to Trust that that will happen. I mean, and he's proven it throughout his career, uh, you know, albeit he hasn't gotten to play against teams like LSU and all that. But with the opportunity that he's been given, he's been shutting them all out. So I'd like to ride that high and see what happens. And I think that makes this a very good pick. He's got he's got the, he's got the mama mentality. And, his, you know, who his teammate was in college? Kobe Bryant, cornerback for Cincinnati. So <laughs> C-O-B-Y. Yeah, C-O-B-Y. Not not, yeah. not the better Kobe, but, you know, when you have it, you know, what's weird about Kobe Bryant, that side note, he's the other cornerback from Cincinnati and he he's, he's less of a prospect, but didn't like, I felt like I was so inclined to take Kobe Bryant just because of his name, knowing that like yeah. with great power Absolutely. comes great responsibility, bro. If your parents deciding to name you Kobe Bryant, if you grow up with the name Kobe Bryant, like, and you suck or you just don't give a hundred percent effort, like that just doesn't happen. So like for that alone, I would be taking a risk in drafting a guy with that name, but I agree. Sauce Garner stud. We were all shocked about the Stingley thing. Cause it all happened so close to like the actual draft time, like mm-hmm. five, even five hours before it was like sauce, 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 sauce. And then we checked the Vegas odds and Sting- Stingley is like minus 200 to go third overall. So uh, crazy how that works. Uh, you know, but jets got to steal. So, you know, his name is sauce, right? And this guy carries a, bottle with him a small bottle with sauce in or it's it. chain on his it, it's a chain yeah actually it's a chain and uh it's and so i think some guy asked him he's like what kind of sauce do you have and then he's like it's different every day you know someday it's ranch some days some days but i i assume it's going to be probably applesauce because the big apple in new york maybe that's that's going to be the new sauce that they use but, yeah I, I like the different every day it just means it's it means he's adaptable he's got the adaptability yeah. that no matter what receiver yeah. is going to be opposing him however he's going to play he's going to fucking play so yeah that's you can taste the, the sauce all you want but it's going to be a new sauce the next day <laughs> that's cool um anyways um so we're going to go now to our third best pick of this draft and you know very very obvious choice here but i think aiden hutchinson after doing my research on um post draft research i now realize that jaguars made a bad bad mistake i think aiden hutchinson should have gone number one and i think for the lions to grab him at two i think this was 
this is sucks. This sucks for a Vikings fan because it's going to be a decade or more of just torture and pain. And it's coming because his resume is absolutely ridiculous. He's been a prospect ever since he stepped foot on grass. He's been killing his peewee leagues. He's been killing college, high school, every level. The only time he was actually not an all pro in anything he's ever done as far as football is when he broke his leg. He fractured his leg, kept him out for a couple of years, came back the same energy, same level of confidence. He, he had no joint injuries. He just fractured his leg. It healed perfectly. He's back. And it's like nothing ever changed. That's ridiculous. That's crazy to think about. I was reading up on him and I saw how, you know, he's a legendary weight room grinder who's not only strong, but he's flexible. He's like, he can bend in different directions, which decreases injuries. That's big for a defensive end. You know, we've seen how defensive ends careers as big as they're supposed to be end really quickly because they tear their bicep or they tear their tricep. And um, being a flexible guy, if you look at his workout videos, I'm like, dude, a dude that big should not be moving weights like that or be bending in those directions. So after seeing a little bit of that, I'm like understanding what it really meant to have this guy on a team. It's tough guy. He's a very tough guy. He's he can run through pretty much any left tackle in college. Uh, Sweetheart, what, what were you some of the things that you were uh, worried about him? Um, um, you were I mean, talking about him. So Aiden Hutchinson's an interesting one. I think I think he absolutely should have been the number one player. I think again we fall into this world now where uh, they have what's called the RAS, the Relative Athletic Score. I don't know if you guys have seen that. But basically, mm -hmm. it's like measuring athleticism going back to, I don't know, 2000 or something. And it's every player, right? Every player. And um, Aiden Hutchinson is athletic, but he they people scrutinized whether his potential versus what he's already reached. How, how, how I guess how big that difference is, right? So it's like, he's already so good now, but is this the ceiling? And everyone kept saying, like, he's not the Bosa. He's not the Watt. So he's kind of a tier below that but it's still production, right? You, you value production. And so I can respect that. But the reason Trayvon ended up going before him last second is because again, the NFL is moving into this direction where they're valuing like upside potential over actual collegiate production. And that's why Aiden went too. So it's like, again, I don't think the Lions would have been upset if Aiden went one and then they got their choice of anybody else yeah. as well. But yeah, yeah, when you're, when the consensus number one guy just falls in your lap on draft day, like, how are you going to be upset with that? There's no way to be upset with that. So no, I think, I think they hit a home run. I, I don't have any qualms with Aiden Hutchinson. I shouldn't say shit about him. Cause again, he's going to be in our division. If he just wreaks havoc on the Vikings for years and years, it's going to make me have oh, to eat my own words. So uh, better to start now and just assume he's going to be really fucking good. There are a couple of things. There's just like two things that I got to mention that I did not like about him. Uh, his run game instincts are just average. I didn't see anything crazy about stopping the run. There's some other defensive ends that are flying out there from one side to the other, like diving to not let him get an inch. Uh, I, he kind of let some of that go. And I, and I think I know why, because like I said, I watched a lot of film on this guy over the last couple of weeks. Um, but because he's a pure muscle mass guy, he likes to run through people. Think about how long that can last in a football game. It's not going to last very long. You're going to max out your energy. And then what? And then what? And then you got below average arm strength uh, and your run game instincts are just average. That's not going to work. So he needs to fix that. And I think uh, I did read a lot about how they're going to change him into fitting into their scheme rather than just taking his skill set and throwing him on there. So I think he'll evolve more as a player and he's already got what it takes. Like he's got, he's like the locker room guy. He's got the JJ Watt kind of mentality to like lead a team. So I think, uh, I think for that reason, I think that was a great pick and you know, it just, I, I feel bad not 
respecting him before the draft because I just thought it was going to be like any other guy. But now I see the true potential that this guy has. Yeah, he's and he's going to be another guy who's like a face of the franchise. Like you said, J.J. Watt, like he instantly comes and like brings a certain culture, right? He can he can be the guy that has interviews after tough games and stuff. He's not afraid to talk to the media. Right. And that stuff's important. Absolutely. Okay. And um, so the second best pick, uh, again, another guy I kind of didn't like before. Uh, I thought there was too much uh, uncertainty. But Kyle Hamilton, I'm going to go ahead and go with Kyle Hamilton. Uh, safety from Notre Dame, 14th overall pick by the Ravens. The Ravens had a phenomenal draft, and he was the first one to lead that draft off. Um, he played college basketball. Should I say anymore? Like, it's like there's a trend here. There's a clear trend here with like taller players and the need to have dual athleticism, especially at a place like safety, because you're expected to be all over the place. You're expected to reach the highs, the lows, the lefts, the rights, and being having elite speed. You know, uh, actually, he didn't have he didn't have elite speed, but he had a really good three cone drill. Um, so having good having elite agility and having uh, being compared to players like Cam Chancellor, who can you know do crazy stuff out there, uh, having the frame, having the muscle mass that he has, having the versatility to play in any scheme, any alignment, the competitiveness, the physicality, the football smarts. Um, he's an intimidator up the middle. Like, you know, if there's a running back coming up the middle, they're not going to lower their shoulder when they see Kyle Hamilton. They're going to try to evade him. They're going to try to do this. They're going to try to do that. And I think that matters. I think the fact that he has little to no weaknesses, um, you know, the height is a natural barrier when you want, when you're talking about change of direction for players, when you're six foot four, your change of direction is smaller than a safety who's six foot one. It's just, that's just the way it is. So that might be a problem. Um, and there's like a little bit of room for improvement with like pattern recognition and like anticipation of the ball. But outside of that, like pure physicality wise, there is, there are none better in, in this position. And, you know, and he's improved tackling in space over time, which is harder to do. And he's already mastered that at this level. So it can only get better from here. So after looking this up and actually understanding what his strengths and weaknesses are to the T, there are very little weaknesses. There are a lot of strengths and that's a lot to like for this, for this pick. And um, for that reason, I make this my second best pick of the draft. Yeah. I'll touch on the Ravens later. So I don't want to say any more on that. Okay. All right. Um, all right, then, then I'll just hit him with the last pick. Um, and the best pick of the draft, in my humble opinion, are the New York Giants. We're still going to stay up here in the top 10 because they're going to be the best picks at the end of the day, or most likely. Um, we're going to go with Evan Neal, offensive tackle from Alabama, drafted seventh overall by the Giants. Massive fellow, tall as hell, just has no regard for human life. He's been, he's been a top 10 recruit in the country for a long time he's just there's been eyes on him at all time is he going to falter having all this pressure no has never faltered he's he was a three-year starter he's got rare combination of measurables like talent and the pedigree is insane it's just the, the man is just what you want this is what you want he's dropped 15 pounds in the offseason he's much quicker now uh, he's well schooled. He he's understands the game. He knows the technical aspects of the game and of the position. And he's played against like top level competition over the last three seasons. He's played against the best of the best, the best the country has to offer. And no one's really done shit. So, you know, his resumes, that's all you need to see. And a team like the Giants, who terribly, terribly need offensive help, uh, offensive line help. 
And now they get Evan Neal. They can have give more time to their valuable quarterback that they're not willing to go away from this year. So, you know, this only helps. Uh, I didn't like some of the other picks the, the Giants did. They drafted another wide receiver. Why did you do that? If if Kadarius Tony was going to get tra- traded away, then it makes sense, but he never ended up going anywhere. So now you just got another receiver. Congratulations. You love getting receivers. But this pick in itself is amazing. This pick, Evan Neal, you know, this – I, I only have good things to say. There are very, very bad things to say. His weight was the worst thing. If you were to ask me this question three months ago, oh, he's too big. You know, he's not nimble enough. He'll drop 15 pounds. Now he's looking like a beast out there on Instagram. Um, you know, plays with good attitude. I just, I, I think his quickness may be an issue, but you don't need to be that quick when you're a left tackle, as long as you're good at that one form of quickness. So for that reason, I think this is a great pick. This guy will probably be the best offensive lineman in football once the Nelsons that are done once some of these other names are done. I think as far as tackles go, we are now looking at the face of the tackle position for in football for years to come. Yeah, I completely agree. I think Evan Neal, you could argue was the best talent in the draft, right? Like I think there, there is a possibility if the number one overall team needed a tackle badly, Evan Neal would have gone first. So uh, there's very few players in this draft that I'm certain are just going to come into the NFL and immediately be stars. And Evan Neal is absolutely one of them. So for the giants to not have to take them at five, but then also get him at seven. I mean, again, you can't, you can't hit a home run yeah, like yeah. that. They couldn't have predicted a better draft outcome. Um, and again, he was what the second tackle that went because Icky went first. So yeah, uh, yeah. unreal, uh, unreal talent. Um, again, barring injuries or some unforeseen circumstance, this guy's going to come in and immediately be a star. That's the five. That's the five best and the five worst uh, individual players. Uh, I'm going to get a little bit more generalized on us here. I have five of my best teams overall drafts and five of my worst team overall drafts show it obviously chime in uh wherever you see fit um but i'll start with my five best and by the way this was in no particular order it was really tough for me to rank the best like a lot of these drafts were really really good i actually had a harder time finding worse so uh these aren't like one through five it's just five of the best drafts that i i personally thought uh so let's get it we already talked a little bit about them the jets the jets have to be highlighted just like if they only had first round picks this year, three picks in the draft, they still would have had one of the best drafts in, of, of the entire draft, right? You get Sauce Gardner at four, arguably the best cornerback, right? He was getting he was getting mocked as high as two at some point. Um, Stingley, again, made that late wave. But again, I think consensus, a lot of people thought Sauce was the best cornerback. So Sauce at four, and then you get the best receiver at 10. So the second best receiver arguably goes before, and you the best receiver falls in your lap. So two picks in a row, where the best player at that position basically fell in your lap because somebody reached, uh, doesn't know, don't know if that's how the, you know, the careers are going to pan out, but from what we know now, they got the two best position players at those two best positions and they didn't have to trade up. They just literally fell into their lap. So you cannot be upset with that. And then to turn back around and trade back into the first round at the 26th position and get Jermaine Johnson, who, Again, consensus board, 11th best player. And there were mocks that had the Giants taking him with their, or the Jets taking him with their 10th pick, right? So for them to casually be like, you know what? This is our first round. We got Sauce and Wilson. We're pretty content. Uh, We'll try to attack. We'll try to get edge somewhere, you know, down the road in the draft. See, for whatever reason, Jermaine Johnson continues to slide, slide, slide. They didn't wait. They were like, you know what? Fuck this. We're going to trade back into the first at 26 and take him. Again, those three picks alone, you got three of like the 10 best talents in the entire draft. So there's no way the Jets didn't have a successful draft. 
you know, pair that with the fact that they got Brees Hall in the second round, which I know people don't like running backs going early, blah, blah, blah. But again, when you've already had a home run of a draft there and you need to surround Zach Wilson with as many weapons as possible, you get the best dual threat running back in this class with catching and running combined. So that's going to be super fun to pair him with Michael Carter. Again, give Zach Wilson another weapon. Um, and then in the third round, they got a tight end. So uh, at Ohio State, Jeremy Ruckert, I just think, again, it doesn't hurt to add weapons to a young receiver, to a young quarterback, right? So the Jets did everything that they could in the first round, got got him a talent, got him a weapon, the best weapon in the in the draft, in my opinion, and then got two of the like the biggest stud defensive players. And then they just kind of filled things out where they saw fit. So I I didn't give two shits about their fourth round picks because it really doesn't matter. They already hit a home run up until this point. So the Jets have to, you know, get a lot of credit for how good this first round, um, you know, specifically turned out for them. Absolutely. I think you have four guys that can start right off the bat. These guys, the Jets were also on my board of the top five picks. I mean, you've already mentioned Sauce, Garrett Wilson, Jermaine Johnson, Brees Hall, um, who was a touchdown machine. I mean, that guy had like broke a record, right? Like 21 games with like straight touchdowns. He's a three down back. I know they've got Michael Carter, but you know, you can you can have as many running backs as you can these days, and uh, the more the merrier. Uh, the one guy I'll, I'll, I will highlight on is Michael Clemens, the defense event from Texas A&M. This guy uh, ran a 4.8340. Uh, he's six foot five, 263 pounds. So even in the fourth round, right, you already have like great first four picks you go out and get someone that has potential that could be um, you know a, a solid defensive end through you know coaching and and all the uh, right training and things like that but he's got as far as the um, you know prototypical defensive end um, per, like characteristics he's got that so I mean now the skills just need to match the, the, the that trait so I think all in all New York Jets had a solid solid pick and it yeah. helps when you have like three to number one picks as well. It helps for Michael Clemens because in the first round, they took Jermaine Johnson, right? So if he needs to learn how to rush the passer and become a better edge, you already have another fellow rookie from your class that is a cream of the crop that can help you with that. So yeah, I, dude, I actually also really, really like Michael Clemens um, at 117. He's again, going to be a rotational edge, but he's got a six, five frame. Again, like you said, when you have a mold, a lot of people like the mold and they think they can teach like, you know, how to rush, how to be effective. And, you know, most people that know how to rush and how to be effective are smaller. They have small hands, whatever the case may be. But like you said, stature and athleticism and, and, and overall build, this guy's a manimal. <laughs> manimal. Let's jump over to scary as it is the Chiefs, bro. The Chiefs absolutely crushed this draft. Absolutely crushed this draft. Another team that had players kind of fall in their lap. It just doesn't really make sense with what we expected te other teams to need. I think the Packers not taking a receiver has a lot to do with this, but like how other teams thought kind of fell right into the chief's lap, right? Trent McDuffie, 21st overall. Some people argue that he was the best cornerback. Some people think he's the most versatile because he can play nickel. He can play outside. He looks like he could be a safety somewhere down the road just because he's a little bit smaller. So that guy can do it all. Uh, the Chiefs desperately needed secondary help. So to get McDuffie in the 20s, that's a steal. And then 30th overall in the first round to get another guy similar to Jermaine Johnson. A lot of people were projecting in the top 20, George Karloftis, right? They needed edge help. Uh, it, it, it's... It's one of those things where you're looking at a team that lost Tyreek Hill, right? They, they obviously got assets to acquire uh, in the trade back, but I don't personally feel like they lost anything because of how well their draft turned out. Sky Moore, 54th overall. 
getting passed up by teams that desperately need receivers falling right into Patty Mahomes' lap. I mean, this guy's going to come out of the slot and literally probably catch a hundred passes next year. Like I would not be surprised at all. If this guy just turns into Hunter Renfro 2.0 and all he does is catch passes out of the slot. So Absolutely love that. Shashot, you got to like the fact that you talked about Brian Cook earlier and they got him at 62 overall. We know how shitty Daniel Sorensen was last year. So getting a safety to plug and play immediately also helps. And guys, this might have been my biggest steal of the draft. Leo Chanel at 103. This guy, I mentioned RAS, the relative athletic score earlier. Out of like 4,000 people that have gone through this relative athletic score. This guy was 20. Wow. So this guy is a absolute freak, bro. I think he had like a 41 inch vertical. Uh, I think he ran like a sub four, six forty. uh, insane tackler. He does everything. I have no idea why this guy fell linebacker, maybe not a premium position. So people are drafting based on value. We saw other linebackers fall as well. Again, the chiefs, the benefactors of things literally kind of just falling in their lap. So those Five picks alone right there warrant to me the Chiefs having an A in this draft. Absolutely home run. Moving right along. You talked about them earlier. The Baltimore Ravens, probably the best draft. Maybe maybe number two, maybe number three. Another, and, and this is a theme, right? The teams that end up having the best drafts end up being able to kind of sit, stand pat and things still fall their way. Now, a lot of that's luck. A lot of that's situational, right? So, you know, we can't sit here and be like, oh, the Ravens had a great draft because they sat there and things fell in their lap. Things could have absolutely gone awry if people started reaching for the players that they wanted, but they didn't. Kyle Hamilton projected second overall to the Lions as early as like a week before the draft falls to 14 to the Ravens. And I mean, last year, the Ravens had so many injuries on their secondary that their defense just looked atrocious. And it made Marlon Humphrey also look really bad because he was their only secondary piece. Everybody else was hurt. But you're looking at Kyle Hamilton now that's going to play with Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters. Oh, and let's not forget, they just signed safety Marcus Williams. So he's coming into a secondary that all of a sudden looks like goddamn Legion of Boom type shit. Like Marcus Williams, Marcus Peters, and uh, Marlon Humphrey. And now you pair that with Kyle Hamilton. Dude, that's, that's arguably one of the best secondaries in the entire NFL. So from last year where the uh, Ravens defense was absolutely atrocious, in one year, just via draft and then guys coming back from injury, it's like a complete 180. I mean, that shit's scary. That shit's absolutely scary. Pair that with Tyler Linderbaum falling at 25, best center in the draft. Again, fell into their lap. Uh, David Ajabo, second round, 45. We've talked about this. Had not He had that Achilles tear at his pro day, looking at a top 20 talent, maybe top 10. So again, even if he sits for an entire season, the risk is worth the reward with a player like that. So I love that pick. Fourth round to get an offensive tackle, Daniel Falale, who also I think is going to end up being a starting offensive tackle in the league. Can't say that about a lot of fourth rounders. And then Jalen Armour Davis, cornerback out of Alabama. Again, there's something to be said about when you go to Bama, right? Like more Bama players probably get drafted than not get drafted just because of that stature. You're constantly going against top level competition. And so this guy, even though the production wasn't there in college, it's not like he's going to be a sauce or a stingley. He's got the experience to go up against the best, right? And that that means something as you're growing because he was a kid. He's just a kid, and now he's slowly becoming an adult. So I think that right there is a home run. They also drafted two tight ends. I don't know. I mean, you know, <laughs> Lamar Jackson loves throwing to his tight ends, so you can never have enough weapons, I guess. And then they also got a punter. So they had so many picks for the latter part, part of the draft that they could pretty much go whichever way they wanted. But six 
draft picks, their first six draft picks to me are going to be contributors in the NFL with the top three, probably going to be day one starters. So I think the Ravens absolutely crushed it. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, they're definitely in my, if my, they were my number one, actually. So I got them a number one draft pick. I think they were very sly. They just watched all these players start dropping. They're like, oh, we're just going to go grab them. And guys like, you know, Kyle Hamilton, even David Ogabo, uh, a guy that really kind of sticks out to me is Daniel Falale. Cause this guy is, you mentioned Manimal earlier. This guy's 380 pounds. But the only thing is he hasn't played football since he's only been playing since 2016. Yep. He when he moved from uh, Australia to the U.S. So maybe there's some kind of technique that he has to kind of he has to work on and he'll get coaching. But I mean, if, if he does, then that guy is going to be a beast just by size alone. But I think anytime you go into the draft and you have Marquise Brown and then you get rid of him to get that's their best draft. move of the whole draft trading away marquise brown absolutely i think that it, it was just all in all like solid draft and and well done by the ravens it sucks for steelers steeler fans but you know it is what it is that's funny you mentioned marquise brown getting traded away that adds to uh the value of the ravens the next team i have on the board as far as having a successful draft is the philadelphia eagles and the philadelphia eagles Traded right in front of the Ravens to get defensive tackle Jordan Davis. We already know he's a freak. I mean, there's not much that needs to be said about him. There's a reason they traded right in front of the Ravens because everybody thought he was the perfect fit for that Ravens defense. So I think that's a home run right there. And then, dude, you got the best receiver in the draft. You got AJ motherfucking Brown, bro. He's the only established receiver in the draft because he's already played in the NFL. He's already had success. Not to mention this guy fits Everything over the last year, we've been talking about the Eagles lacking, right? This is exactly the type of receivers that the Philadelphia Eagles needed. Let's hope he actually stays healthy because I think this pairing is going to be like really, really impressive and exciting to watch. But that alone, when you can trade a first round pick for an established superstar receiver in the NFL already, we have no idea what Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Jamison Williams, we can sit here and speculate all we want, but that's how big that jump is from the college to the pros guys. We don't know, but what we do know is the guys that are already good. And when you can trade away a first round pick and get AJ Brown, while other people are trading first round picks for Hollywood Brown, the shittier Brown, um, you know, that's already a home run right there. So you get, you get the most talented receiver in the draft already, AJ Brown, you got Jordan Davis, uh, I really like Cam Jurgens out of Nebraska at center. I was, I think I mentioned to you guys, I was, I was really hoping the Vikings somehow got him in like the third round, but uh, he ended up going in the second round. He was the hundredth on the consensus board and he went 51st. So he, his pro day and his draft, um, his combine was what skyrocketed his um, stock. So I think that's a home run. And then, oh, last but not least, let's not forget about the fact that I absolutely adore Nicobe Dean. He was to me, the best defensive player on arguably the best defensive, like collegiate defensive team I've ever seen. This defense had seven guys drafted in the first round. And to me, N'Kobe Dean was the best player. He was the one that stood out the most play by play. Now, I didn't know this, but he's got a ton of injury concerns, which obviously makes sense why he dropped. But dude, in the third round, you're going to take a risk on a guy that literally should be like a top 10 talent. Why the fuck not? Like kudos to you, Philly, for being like, you know what? Any pick after the third round on is a crapshoot anyways. Why would we not take a flyer or a risk on somebody who could turn out to be like the best player in the draft? So that alone right there, A.J. Brown, Jordan Davis, and uh, N'Kobe Dean, that's a home run. That's a home run. I think uh, this is probably the second time ever N'Kobe Dean has been called adorable. 
And I think that's his mom and now Suikar. Dude, I fucking dude, the dude just oh my god, I he's gonna be so good, man. And I think he's gonna he's so perfect for Philly because he plays like he plays so relentless, like he's everywhere all the damn time, everywhere, everywhere, all the damn time. And the funny thing is, a lot of people gave him, you know, slack for saying, yeah, but he's playing behind Devontae Wyatt and some of the best goddamn defensive linemen that you know we've ever had the pleasure of watching, but the Eagles were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we see that. And that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to put Jordan Davis right in front of him. So they drafted Jordan yeah. Davis to put in front of N'Kobe Dean, just like just like it was in college. And so he's going to be able to flourish. And I think he's the perfect pick there. Um, dude, I was salivating at N'Kobe Dean at the idea that he could be a Viking. I don't know what Philly saw that every other team didn't see. But at 83 overall, when what was he on the consensus real quick? Let me just look just for my own fucking demise. Uh, he was, I believe 31st, 31st on the consensus board. And he drops to 83, uh, kudos Philly. That is a win. Um, yeah, he, he's so, definitely go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no, I was going to say the relative athletic scores, what you mentioned earlier, right? Yep. Uh, Jordan Davis looks like he had like a perfect score on yeah. the relative athletic yeah. score. Yeah. There's, there's, there are very few people that have had a perfect score. Calvin Johnson, uh, Cam Newton, Byron Jones uh, and Jordan Davis. And there's one Viking here. Uh, there's two, there are two Vikings. One was near perfect. No, Dante Culpepper with a 9.99 oh. and Joe Webb with a perfect 10. Oh my God. Joe fucking Webb. The anomaly to the RAS score. Poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I just wanted to close saying that, yeah, I had Philadelphia Eagles on, on my list as well, but uh, mainly it's because of that Nicobe Dean value pick at the third round. I mean, that, that just, uh, solidifies yeah. top five, uh, you know, right then and there. And then obviously we've talked about getting a veteran, having a veteran presence in the uh, receiving core and uh, they could have definitely gotten one of the guys that we talked about, Drake London or, or not Drake London, but you know, some of the other receivers, Olave, um, but they went out and got a veteran in Asia Brown. And so yeah. uh, kudos to them. Think, think about this. They fixed everything at the line. They fixed, they got a defensive tackle, a center, um, you know, an edge rusher. They got a tight end who also is mainly used for blocking. So like they, they really enforced that part of their game and they added everything they were lacking. So uh, th this is well-deserved to be in a top five best drafts of this year. You're, you're, again, AJ Brown, you got for the 18th overall pick. Again, I can't, yeah, I can't right? even comprehend that because Hollywood Brown just went for the 23rd overall pick. So like, let's, let's think value there. That's unreal. That's absolutely unreal. If that's all they did and they didn't have another pick to like day three, I'd still think that was a win because yeah, there's, there, there's very little like perfect pairings. And again, we've been harping on the fact that the Eagles need a big bodied veteran receiver. And this is exactly mm -hmm. that. So dude, kudos to the Eagles. They absolutely crushed it. And last but not least, on my top five, the Detroit Lions. Shashot, you already mentioned them. Aiden Hutchinson, yeah, falling in your lap at two because, oh, potential, potential, Trayvon Walker this, Trayvon Walker that. Like, yeah, that's all nice and dandy, but we're looking at production. This guy already has the 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 actual accolades, and, and he's actually produced on the field. So you know what you're going to get with him. And, again, he's a culture builder. He's a culture changer. We're seeing – a shift in the Detroit Lions, like overall culture, philosophy, this Dan Campbell era. I think, I, I honestly think the Lions are turning this like really, really big corner where, you know, I would not be surprised if the next decade is all of a sudden the Lions are a pretty competitive football team. So um, Aiden Hutchinson, great step in that right direction. You talked about it, Jamison Williams, man, I wanted that guy at 12. So that it's, it's extra kind of 
fuel to the fire in the sense that they took him at our position where we were supposed to draft. So uh, that sucks. But second round, Josh Pascal, I also liked him as an edge rusher. And now they're pairing him with Aiden Hutchinson. So uh, they get two edge rushers. And knowing in a division where you got Aaron Rodgers, where you got Kirk Cousins, where you got mobile Justin Fields, uh, you're going to need to try to generate pressure on the quarterback. So attacking uh, the edge rusher spot with two of your first three picks, that alone, I really, really like. Um, other than that, Kirby Joseph, safety, um, stupid pick because Brady Bree's going to start. This guy's probably going to get cut, so pointless. Um, James Mitchell, the tight end, uh, you know, blocking tight end, also can catch passes, but he got injured. He has a lot of athleticism, so I think he could be a nice compliment piece to Hawkinson. Um, but other than that, dude, again, when, when Aiden Hutchinson, the consensus one falls to your lap, and then you trade up and get the fastest and most explosive receiver in the draft, uh, again, it, it's hard not to love. So uh, kudos, Detroit. I feel like this tide is turning. Shout out, Brubble. You probably endured some shitty-ass times being a Detroit Lions fan. But I'm telling you, man, I really, really see the light at the end of the tunnel for Detroit. Wait, is Jared Goff not the quarterback anymore? What happened with Detroit? Dude, it's like when you when you surround something shitty with enough really, really good things, <laughs> Jared Goff made the Super Bowl. Remember that? Let's all remember that. So, again, when you surround something really shitty with a lot of good things, Decent things can happen. So yeah, I don't, again, Jared Goff's not the answer. Don't get me wrong. I know next year they're probably going to jump in and drive, draft a quarterback, <laughs> but um, I don't know, man. It's a home run to me. So for me, they drafted six other eight picks for defensive picks, and that was much needed. That, I, I said throughout the year when we were at Buffalo Wild Wings, this is the worst defense I've ever seen in my life. I said that every single week for many, many weeks. And they went out and they said, nope, we're not going to let Sassoth call us that anymore. We're going to go ahead and become better. So I give them kudos for that for sure. Yep. The only thing I would have liked personally, maybe it's nitpicking is I would have liked to see them get a cornerback earlier. Like, I mean, your only cornerback draft was in the seventh round. And I mean, that's yeah. probably not going to pan out. Let's be real. Um, but other than that, what's the next best thing? If your cornerbacks are mediocre, rush the quarterback. And what they do, they got two edge rushers in the top three picks. So uh, nonetheless, absolute home run for them. Uh, those are my top five. Show it. I know you had a couple that did not intertwine with mine. So I'll let you take it away, man. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's going to be pretty quick, but I've got Green Bay Packers on here as well. Um, so, so you mentioned Quay Walker earlier. I think that this is actually a pretty good pick for the Packers because this guy is a versatile player that can play, um, you know, he can rush in the nickel and play different positions as, as far as uh, inside linebacker goes. It fits with the Packers scheme. Um, so I think that that works out for them. Obviously, you have Devante, Devante Brad, uh, Wyatt, uh, defensive tackle, next pick. Also a Georgia uh, you know, Georgia alumni. So I think that those are good on the defensive side. And then the biggest thing that the Packers needed is receiving help. Um, they didn't probably get the, you know, the top five guys that we've talked about, but Christian Watson was definitely on our boards as far as receiving uh, is concerned. He's, he played North Dakota state tall guy, um, probably didn't face a lot of competition at North Dakota state, but I mean, it's some, some, you know, someone that can, that Aaron Rodgers can work off of. And so in terms of needs met for what the Packers were looking to looking for in this draft, I think that they were able to get that with, you know, their defensive help, uh, the receiving core. And then one guy I want to mention is uh, uh, Rashid Walker in the seventh round. I think that this guy would probably be his it's, it's a gamble. He's an inconsistent player, but he's got the size that, you know, you could probably that could, you know, end up working out for you. So I think that all in all with the number of picks that the Packers had, I think that they, they did really well for themselves of getting, of, of meeting their needs, wide receiver, offensive guard, inside linebacker, 
Um, and then getting some other players here and there to kind of, uh, you know, it would take a gamble, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I, the scary thing as a Vikings fan for the Packers drafting a guy like Christian Watson is yeah, small school, right. Didn't pay, face a lot of competition, but he has all the things you can't really teach. He's six foot four. Can't teach that ran a four, three, six. You can't teach that 38 and a half inch vertical. You can't teach that. So like if, if he fills out to be the player that his like, uh, whatever overall make is projecting him to be that's fucking scary for the Packers, especially with the guy that can make you better in Aaron Rodgers. And then mm-hmm. let's, let's not go unnoticed. This guy, the only reason I know anything about him is because I watched a lot of Nevada, Nevada football for whatever reason, Romeo dubs receiver out of Nevada, you know, who's thrown in passes, Carson strong, one of the quarterbacks that I absolutely loved in this draft. Um, and what did we talk about Carson strong doing? He was a beast with the deep ball arm and accuracy and who was catching those Romeo dubs. So this guy's six foot two, 201, 10 inch hands, big ass hands. And he's not the fastest guy, but again, with a guy like Aaron Rodgers, like if he's getting any players that have size, that's scary. Aaron Rodgers is notorious for pinpoint accuracy, right? So he can back shoulder it, put it exactly where his receivers can get it. And his receivers are like athletically freaks now. Um, again, I, I think there's a, there's a chance that these receivers may turn out to be better than some of those bigger name receivers that we expected because situationally they're playing with a quarterback. That's arguably the best quarterback of all time. Contrary to the belief of the random user on all of our social media that continues to bombard us and troll us saying that Aaron Rodgers is a choker and Brady's better, blah, blah, blah. Like that guy has way too much time in his hands, by the way, for him to create like notorious tw- Twitters, Promise. Instagrams. Uh, props to you, man. It, it means that we're doing something right where you go out of your way to talk to some, you know, small time podcasts, like makes me feel good. So, uh, Aaron Rodgers is better than Brady. Keep it coming at us, boy. Um, yeah, I, I think the receiving core, I think the receiver drafts and then, you know, seventh round, they took Samaje, Samaje Toure, who's a receiver out of Nebraska, which Nebraska doesn't really produce good receivers. <laughs> so I don't really know how to feel about that, but I agree with you. It's, Quay Walker was a controversial pick. Don't get me wrong, but you're getting two of the players from again, a historic defensive team. So, I mean, it's hard not to like that. Yeah. If you can get that and uh, you know, get your wide receiver needs in the later rounds, I think that that's a, it's a solid, solid draft. Um, But the last one I have is our, is the Buffalo bills. So when I was thinking about this, you know, the, the two things that came to mind is like, you want to get the needs of your team and you want to get the best players on uh, on the board, right? Uh, for me, the Buffalo Bills is one of those teams that got that met their needs and got comp- like comparable players to start those positions. For example, Kyrie Elam. So they lose Levi Wallace, right? And that's a pretty big uh, loss for us in the cornerback position. So they get to go out and get this guy from Florida, Kyrie Elam, 23rd pick, solid pick. Um, the next one, they the next pick for on the 31st pick, second round was James Cook, who is he related to? Uh, are you brother. serious right now? Okay, are you, are you messing with me right he's now? He's being sarcastic. Okay, no, I mean, yeah. So they're they're related, and so it, you know, you already have run identical. If you watch them, if you it's yeah, like he it like literally is like a replica. He's a little bit slower than his yeah. brother. He's a little, a little bit smaller bit. too, and I'd argue that he's actually a better pass catcher to be honest. But uh-huh. yeah. yeah, it's his brother. It's and, a, like dreads and, and injury history. Yes. Yeah, and he, the number one thing is he doesn't have an injury history, so. 
Yeah. So I think that as far as get like they had cornerback needs, wide receiver needs, running back needs, offensive tackle needs, those were all met. Uh, on sixth round, Luke Tenuta, uh, offensive tackle for Virginia Tech, they met that need. They the only thing that they missed is offensive guard. Um, and they also did draft a punter too, which I think it's kind of interesting. Punk when, yeah, punk god. Uh, what's that? That guy. That's punk god. Have you heard of punk god? I have not. Yeah. Yeah, this guy was like. We saw some of his highlights. He punted from the twenty-yard line to like the one-yard line on the other side. He literally went inside the end zone. But they deem him. They deemed him the nickname Punt God. So Matt. He also kicks field goals, by the way. Yes, he He also kicks field goals. Also be a kicker. This guy is. This guy might be the first punter kicker we've ever seen. I I mean, I don't know, but he's got the possibility. Matt, what is it? Eric, what is it? Ariza starts with an A. Yeah, Ariza. Yeah, so all in all, I think it's a good draft because of meeting the needs and uh, getting the best players on board. Yeah, I also don't mind Khalil Shakir, Boise State receiver. Uh, he's six foot, but he ran a four four three, and he is like the prototypical guy that's going to flourish because of Josh Allen, right? So um, I think I think he's a decent pick to kind of expand the receiving core that's already really good. Um, the only, I guess, the only thing I would say about Buffalo is I don't. I get the James Cook stuff, like second round, 63rd overall, the Dalvin Cook comparison, all that. I still think there are better running backs in this class than James Cook, but I also like why they got him in the sense that he's an ideal pass catcher. So he's really, really good out of the backfield. Josh Allen is, you know, going to flourish with dump, being able to dump the ball off. Hopefully they no, no longer have to fucking use Zach Moss. I hate Zach Moss. Um, and, and, and maybe it's just going to be a single Terry cook show, but, um, I don't know if there wasn't a better running back that could fit that scheme because, you know, the, but if the Buffalo bills had like a, you know, a number one running back in the sense that it was like a Saquon or somebody like that, then just imagine how much more powerful that offense would already be on top of that. But I think cook is a really nice player. He's just more of a complimentary piece. And because he's slightly smaller in frame, I do worry that, even though he doesn't have injury history in college, that could definitely translate to some injury history in, in the pros. Yeah, I think they were probably sold on getting a running back in the second rounds. They were trying yeah. to get um, Brees Hall, and he was taken. He was gone the third um, pick of the second round, and so they went with James Cook. Yeah, either way, when you're a team that's already so loaded that you know you can afford to draft punters. I mean, you know, you're already in a win now mode, right? So you're only like adding cherries on top to an already solid foundation. And that's kind of what Buffalo has. So uh, again, it's hard to be upset at a draft uh, that didn't really have a tremendous amount of holes. All right. Should we move on to the five worst overall drafts? And, and a lot of these are going to be repeated because you show you've already talked about some of the players of the team. So I'm going to try to run through these quicker Patriots. Obvious, obvious. I don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, Cole Strange, we talked about it, the stretch. Tyquan Thornton, I don't get it. I just don't get it because you don't need that. You need a guy that can actually, like, be reliable as a receiver because all of your receivers are kind of pretty fucking random, right? Like, Nikhil Harry, Jacoby Meyer, solid, nice guy. Like, you know, nice little piece. I forget who their number one receiver is. I'm drawing a blank right now. Bourne. It's right now, Bourne. Kendrick Myers? Kendrick Bourne. No, it's not Bourne or Myers. There's, There's somebody. Did they sign somebody this year? Devontae Parker. They got Devontae Parker. Okay. So they got Devontae Parker. Uh, That's not terrible. They do also have Nelson Aguilar. But again, all of the names are like, oh, that's a nice kind of complimentary number two receiver, like a nice piece. Maybe Devontae Parker can be that true number one. But that's why I just didn't really understand the Tyquan Thornton pick when you could have gotten a guy like Sky Moore, who Mac Jones would have absolutely adored because anytime Mac Jones needs to see somebody open, Sky Moore would get open. So um, that, that I do not get. And then you know, because their first two picks were so bad, like I didn't even give a shit about the rest of their eight picks. They were all third round and beyond. Um, 
So I don't know, man. To me, the Patriots, I know it's Belichick, but you are the weakest link. Goodbye. No, I agree that they're, they're on my list as well for all those reasons. I mean, we already mentioned it when Chichelle was talking about Cole Strange and Tyquan Thornton as far as the worst players to be drafted in that position. So, <laughs> and wait, we all, they also dra- drafted Bailey Zapp, a quarterback. It's like, what are you trying to tell Mac Zappy? What are you trying to tell Mac Jones uh, getting a quarterback in the fourth round there? I'm not really sure why they did that. So. Yeah. So like, yeah, explain this to me, right? The, the, the logic is Bailey Zappi could come in and be a really nice backup quarterback to Mac Jones. When you have like a rookie or a young quarterback, wouldn't you, don't you like, wouldn't you want your backup to be like a veteran, somebody who's got experience so that if Mac Jones gets hurt, you're not throwing another rookie in there. Like how is Bailey Zappi a decent backup to an already like second year uh, quarterback? It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, shit. Who knows? Maybe Bailey Zappi is going to be the Jimmy Garoppolo to Mac Jones Tom Brady. Don't count out anything with Bill Belichick, but yeah, I, I also think that's questionable. I don't think it's going to hinder them in the sense that you mentioned, like, what does that say about Mac Jones? It's not like they got somebody in the first round or anything like that. And again, weak quarterback class, all that crap. They know that, you know, it's kind of a crap shoot, but it, it just didn't seem necessary. I think they already have Brian Hoyer as their backup quarterback. So what, what's the lead, What's the need there? Jumping right along the new Orleans saints already been talked about. I'm questioning their draft strategy, man, just a little bit. So explain this to me. They traded up to the 11th pick to take Chris Olave, which nice receiver, nice player. I think he's going to be, he's like the best route runner in the class. So I can't be upset about that, but you traded up to get him. And at the 11th spot, Jamison Williams was still available, right? Like, cause Jamison Williams got drafted 12th. That's a game changer. That's a game changing player to me. Olave can be really, really good, but he's not game breaking speed. He's not like, he's not, he's not like generational. Like I think, I think Williams had a chance to be generational. So you traded up, which means you lost value. You had to give something up to do that. And then not only that, they had two first round picks, right? So with the 19th pick, if they were going to trade up, if trading up was already a strategy, unless they absolutely loved Olave, I'd argue that there was a chance Olave could have been there at 19. Now he might not have been right. Don't get me wrong. He might not have been, but if offensive tackle, they lost to Ron Armstead, offensive tackle was such a big hole. Wouldn't you think it makes more sense if the idea was to trade up anyways, to trade up and get one of the three like non-missable offensive tackles and cross Iquanu or Evan Neal versus getting a guy like Trevor Penning who played at Northern Iowa. He had like led the nation in penalties. He's really good. He's like very ferocious and shit, but it also works to his demise because he draws a lot of penalties. That, that part I didn't understand. Like it almost seemed like to me, they flip-flopped those where they could have traded up, actually got a offensive tackle that is a can't miss guy and then still got Olave at 19. And if not Olave, again, you get the next tier of guys like Jahan Dodson, all those guys who I think are very comparable. So that, that weird strategy in the first round to me, I didn't think there was a need to trade up three or four spots just to get a guy like Chris Olave. But that's, again, my personal opinion, don't know. And then obviously, Shashot, you already mentioned the other thing, Alante Taylor, Second round, 49th pick. That guy is a project at best, and he's drafted inside the top 50 of a draft that had very heavy, like second, third round talent that could be immediate day one starters, right? So when you know you have a middle heavy draft and you can get guys that are day one starters, why are you drafting guys at the 49th overall pick that are projects that you don't even know what position they play? Safety, corner, nickel, outside, like you don't know. So that did not make sense to me. And then obviously their only other two picks of the draft were round five and round six. And we all know those guys typically don't pan out. So of their entire draft, they had three picks that had a chance to pan out. 
They drafted a project with their third pick and then they traded up with their first pick to get, you know, a receiver that I think is not as good as a receiver that was already on the board. And when they could have traded up and taken a tackle, that's better than the tackle they took. So strategically, I'm very, very questioning the way the Saints maneuvered this draft. Um, but I don't know. That's my opinion. Yeah, their fourth pick, they're already saying is at best he's going to be playing special teams for a yeah. while. So it's like, what are you cap, doing, dude? Cap situation was shitty for them. They weren't able to like get as much free agent talent as they wanted. And then like they were very, very slim and thin in the draft. So I don't know, man. It's it's really not shaping up well for Dennis Allen's first year and you know life for Jameis Winston because he needs help. He needs all the help he can get. So uh, I don't know. For a guy that loves to throw bombs, it seems like Jameis and Williams would have been the perfect pairing for a guy that likes to throw the ball deep. But I don't know. The commanders are next on my board. Um, I don't get that. I don't get this situation either. So uh, kind of flip-flop with the Saints. They traded down. They traded down to get Jahan Dotson at 16, which Jahan Dotson at 16 is a reach, right? When they were at 11, they could have taken Alave. They could have taken Williams. So they traded, the they traded down to take a receiver that, you know, to me, if he was drafted at his highest, could have, should have gone in the 20s, but he could have been like the best you know, 35th pick of the draft or something like that. So they took him at 16 when they had the opportunity to take a receiver who was already better there, they traded down. And then not only that, in the, in round two with the 47th overall pick, they took Mathis, the defensive tackle out of Alabama. And a couple of things with him. He's 75th on the consensus board. So it was a little bit of a reach. And there was a guy like Travis Jones, who is an absolute mauler at defensive tackle who fell to 76 and his consensus was 47. So there were other players at that specific position they were looking for that had higher upside, that were graded out better, that were projected better, all things were better. And yet for some reason, whatever they saw, they saw that Mathis was going to be the difference. Now, yeah, he played at Bama. So, you know, there's always that, oh, he played at Bama. So, you know, he could end up being nice, but I think that that was a reach and there was a better option at the exact same position at that level. And then last but not least, guys, Antonio Gibson just, dude, the fucking Washington commanders, sorry, commanders must fucking hate Antonio Gibson because with the third round, in the third round with the 98th overall pick, they took Brian Robinson Jr., the running back out of Alabama, who, let's be real, he's actually not that good. Like, again, Bama, 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 but I didn't really like Brian Robinson even as a running back at Alabama, let alone a prospect here, let alone a guy you would draft in the third round when you already have a guy that, because J.D. McKissick is, Wait, I take that back. He's back. He was gone and then they like signed him back, right? Came back. So signed with another team and then like canceled it and then like he's back. You already have JD McKissick as your pass catcher. We've already established that if Antonio Gibson just got carries, maybe he'd actually be decent and given an opportunity, but they just don't believe that. So they're like, you know what? We're going to drop Brian Robinson, which again, running back, the value, you that, that that's always a conversation. Where do you draft him? Especially a team that clearly like running back was not a deficient deficiency. You already have Gibson and McKissick. Why are you taking a running back with the third pick? So all three of their first three picks to me were ass, like just ass. So I, like, I don't understand what the logic was there at all. Yeah. So for me, it's um, the positions that they picked at that round. So the first round receiver, they need a receiver. So they go and get John Dotson. I mean, how, how do you know which receiver out of this deep class is going to be good? Fine, whatever, right? But the second pick where they would go and get a def defensive tackle, I think that they had to address their cornerback and safety position, which was a lot worse last year than their defensive tackles. I mean, their their defensive tackles have always been first-rounders in the uh, that they've drafted in the last four or five years. So I don't think that they needed to even – 
address that until later rounds. They don't get a safety until the fourth round and then a cornerback in the seventh round of this draft. So not addressing that more important need of a cornerback safety is the reason that they are, they did not get as a high of a draft grade for me this year. And, and exactly. And there's something to be said, if you're not addressing needs, but you're taking best player available, because again, you can't pass them up. Then I like, to some extent, I'll let it slide. Obviously again, if it's an outlier or whatever, but to some extent I'll let it slide, but they didn't do that. They didn't, they didn't just stick to their positional spots and take best player available. They still reached at both positions that they, all three positions in the top three that they drafted and didn't address really many needs. So um, I do agree though. I think John Dodson will be a nice compliment to Terry McLaurin. So uh, I, I don't really care about that one as much as I care about a running back in the third round when you already have two and then a defensive tackle, like you mentioned where their defensive line is already pretty damn formidable. So um I don't know. I mean, any, any team that has, any team that gets Carson Wentz, I just feel like like they, there's a weird psychological aspect where everything just starts to yeah. get Every, starts everything. To, yeah, everything just starts to get very reckless and like just trying to do too first, much. But first of all, this is the Commanders are not a team that were one thing away from one thing. Like they were not. They were a bad team, right? They drafted Sam Howell with their fifth round pick. That's what. What? Like, don't you already have Taylor Heineke, like, who's a good enough backup? Could you not have waited to pick up some another backup in free agency? Sam Howell, you could you could have drafted another defensive tackle there. You could have drafted, you know, another tight end, the guards, the cornerbacks that they drafted a little bit later. You could have addressed all of that a little bit earlier, and you would have probably had Sam Howell still available at every single one of those picks after that. So it's like, what the what what is the thought process here? I don't know. Yeah, I didn't like it. I didn't I didn't like the commander's draft at all at all um almost as much as i didn't like the cardinals i hated the cardinals draft i absolutely hated it and i was doing a lot of research and surprisingly some people really liked it but explain this to me you already lost the draft the minute you traded for hollywood brown so let's just get that out of the way he sucks uh i don't care that he played with kyler murray in college at at oklahoma like this isn't going to be a jamar chase joe burrow situation those guys are like way fucking better than kyler murray and uh hollywood brown so i already hate that i already absolutely hate that and then And then in the second round, yes, you got the best tight end in the draft. Congratulations on a team that already has Zach Ertz and that already has Max Williams. Why the hell are you drafting a tight end in the second round? You can't play three tight ends. Three tight end formation doesn't exist. Are you going to run I formation the whole game? They're they're not going to like Max Williams and Zach Ertz. They are both receiving tight ends. Max Williams, uh, you know, pseudo whatever, but Zach Hurts is a catching tight end. So for you to go out in the second round and address a, a receiving tight end when you have so many fucking holes on the offensive line, on the defense, like there's so many other places you could have gone with this, but your first two picks basically were Hollywood Brown. I hate him. And a tight end, who, which you, which you just didn't need. Like, again, this is a situation where best player available. It doesn't make sense because you have two on your roster that are already formidable. So I, I don't get that. I just don't get that. They had two third round picks, don't care. And then the rest of their picks were round six and seven. So it's not like they were like, let's do something in the first two rounds that, you know, is different than, you know, what we ideally want to do because we have so many other picks that we can make up for it. No, six and seven round picks typically never pan out. So with your two most prized possessions, you got Hollywood Brown and a tight end when you didn't need a tight end. I'm sorry, Cardinals. It just makes no sense. 
Yeah, I mean, that's exactly the same reason I had. I mean, picking up a, picking a tight end when you have Max Williams and Zach Ertz. I had Max Williams last year on my fantasy team at one point before he got injured, and I was very pleased with his production. I thought he was a great tight end, and they loved giving him the ball. They loved using their using Max Williams, and then when Zach Ertz came, they loved using Zach Ertz. Um, and so I'm, I wasn't really sure. I wasn't really sure where they were going with this, and then obviously Hollywood Brown getting added. Yeah, I don't, I don't especially know when now it's going to stick in your brain that you could have also maybe gotten like a AJ yeah. Brown with the same first round type of pick. So it just like you, you, you obviously are going to be inclined to compare those two because they happen in the same draft. And you're like, dude, it like Hollywood Brown is here and AJ Brown's here. Like it's no contest to me. So, but you're uh, probably going to have to pay him the AJ Brown price now because of the way you drafted him. You're right. And, and, and the financials come in to, the financials come into play as well. Maybe Hollywood's not going to be as costly and they already have Hopkins on contract and he's expensive and Kyler wants like 50 fucking million a year. So uh, maybe that also came into the equation. But again, when you're in a win now mode and like you can still trade for him and he could be on a contract year essentially, and you can still maximize what you get from him because you're in a win now mode to me that one year of him and the uncertainty that maybe he doesn't sign with you is still worth trading away a first round pick versus trading away a first round pick for an inferior talent, just because you're sure he's going to stick around. But do you really want Hollywood Brown sticking around and dropping passes from Kyler Murray? No. So, um, yeah, yeah, no, I agree. No. And just to clarify, I mean that, well, if you actually drafted a first round receiver, you're paying him less than what you would have to play Hollywood Brown in a long way run, less, right? Way so less. I, I, financially, this doesn't make sense oh. either. Yeah. It, so. I don't know. It, it, that's just, they're just going with straight chemistry at this point. There is no other answer. They're like just hoping there's a resurgence. You know, like Nelson Aguilar just left that Eagles team and then he like went with the Patriots and scored a couple of touchdowns. I think they're just kind of expecting some sort of resurgence, but we've seen with bad hands, it never really gets better. That's never, what you are. That's what I'm saying. It's one of those things that, yes, you can like improve, but I've never seen guys that just drop passes all of a sudden stop dropping passes. That doesn't happen. Yeah, it, it, they drop less. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Like, I think that's like a characteristic that you're going to carry forward forever. And um, Kyler's already such a, like a frustrating player. I, I imagine like the rumblings are like, he's not the best locker room guy either. So, I mean, I wonder how like long or short his leash is going to be with his own former teammate when he all of a sudden just keeps dropping passes. Like, I don't care that you're my former teammate. If now we're at the grandest stage of them all and you're not producing to the level that you should be. So I don't know. Cardinals. Sorry. Horrible draft for you. Um, not happy at all. And for me, the, the fifth one, kind of a toss up, but also kind of debatable. Again, I thought for the most part, a lot of teams did really, really well drafting. Um, I put the Rams and dolphins on here, but I lean more dolphins. Here's why. The reason both these guys are on here is neither of them had a first and a second round pick, right? So both of their drafts started in the third round. Obviously, the Rams won a Super Bowl because of that. They traded away those picks, and they got Matthew Stafford, and that, you know, became a Super Bowl. So that's a win already. So, like, it doesn't really matter. The way I look at it is it's more the Dolphins. I like Tyreek Hill's a generational talent. Don't get me wrong. When you can trade for Tyreek Hill, it's obviously a bonus. But... Your quarterback is also Tua, who I'm very, very low on. So I don't know that, you know, not having a first or second round pick and then, you know, getting Tyreek Hill, it's like acquiring an asset and then having like trash throwing to your asset. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, we talked about Jared Goff. He can flourish when, you know, he's in a shitty, he's bad, but he's in a great system with a lot of great players. But Again, I don't, I don't know how you guys, where your guys' stance really is on Tua, but like, I am not a believer in Tua. Like, I just don't think he's going to have it. I think he can put up good numbers. I think he's got so many weapons around him that it'd be kind of impossible for him to not put up good statistics. But 
I don't think he's a great quarterback. Like I don't, I don't think he's got a good enough arm. Uh, so I just worry that yes, you acquired like a prized possession in Tyreek Hill, but what if you find out in the middle of this year that Tua is not your answer? Then all of a sudden you hindered your first round picks this year. I think they gave up a first next year too. So you already hindered some of your future on the hopes of a quarterback that might not be the answer. So here's why I would have, if I, if I, here's how I would have taken the Dolphins off this list. If the Dolphins with their third round pick took a guy like Malik Willis, then I wouldn't hate any of this. Then I'd be like, you know what? It makes sense. You, you, you traded for Tyreek Hill. You think to as the answer now, and if he's not, you have a contingent plan to also take a stab at, right? And again, Malik Wills could not be the answer as well, but at least you have a backup plan. Right now, it's two hour bust, and you you like hampered your entire future because you tra- traded for Tyreek Hill, lost a lot of draft capital, and paid him a shit ton of money. So uh, I just don't want to, this to be a situation where there's so many weapons everywhere, and there's not a single good de- good quarterback to throw them the football. Yeah, I, I wonder if like Mike McDaniel is too much of a bro that's like not allowing him to do that, like draft a quarterback. Because I remember when they he first got on the team, they were in like a, a jet and they were FaceTiming with Tua. Yo, Tua, you're the man. Like we're going to get to work as soon as you get here. So maybe he just didn't want to hurt his feelings. I wonder if that has anything to play with it. it Maybe just speculation, but I don't know. They draft a quarterback, about. but it was in the seventh round. So I'm not sure if that guy's going to do anything. Uh, some Thompson guy, I believe, uh, Skylar Thompson from Kansas State. Sorry, dude. Um, so they do have a backup in in play, but I just don't know how. It doesn't seem like a very feasible backup at this stage. Um, I do like how they are now called the Legion of Zoom, though, because everybody's so fucking fast on this team. Uh, they did draft Eric Izukanma, wide receiver from Texas Tech, who's like incredibly fast. They like to throw him. Uh, screen passes and the slot and like quick outs and stuff like that. So maybe that's exactly what Tua needs. Maybe all this speed can open up a lot of space and then Tyree Kill can take the uh, roof over the top and maybe it could work out. Yeah. Again, I, I think Tua is an incredibly advantageous position to succeed. I mean, they picked up Edmonds. They traded for Tyree Kill. You already have Waddle. You already have Gusecki. They signed Cedric Wilson. They drafted Eric Uzukama. So they have a ton of weapons. They signed Toron Armstead, arguably one of the best left tackles in the game. They signed left guard Connor Williams from the Cowboys. So they fortified every position to give Tua a chance to succeed. I think, again, the cherry on top would have been, you know what? As a contingency, since he's falling... He's falling in our laps. Let's just take Malik Wilson in the third round. He was there in the third round. They could have taken him in the third round, but they didn't. So um, that's my only hindrance on the Dolphins. But again, it's hard when you know that the reason the Rams and the Dolphins didn't have first and second round picks is because they got already proven talent and the Rams already won a Super Bowl with that proven talent. So the Rams don't count to me. To me, it's the Dolphins. But again, you know, pseudo Dolphins. But those are my worst overall drafts. Shobit, I know you had some that didn't overlap. Uh, Take it away, man. Yeah, I've got two and I'll make it pretty quick. But first one is going to be Chicago Bears. I think it was very evident that their coach is a defensive coach. I mean, the first two picks, they go out and get a cornerback and safety. Kyla Gordon in the second round, uh, the seventh pick of the second round, and Gaquan Brisker, the 16th pick of the second round, safety from Penn State. So it's the thing is that, you know, when you have a quarterback in Justin Fields and you're trying to build a team around him, you would expect them to have more weapons so that you can, you know, you lose Allen Robinson as a receiver. And so you get this guy named Velas Jones Jr. from wide receiver from Tennessee. When there were other receivers that would have been available in that uh, seven, as a seventh pick. So for me, it's, it's not having more of a um, surrounding uh, uh, around uh, Justin Fields and, and not working around him in order to, you know, be successful. It seems like 
defense is the focus here still. Yeah, the, the Bears seem like they're in a clear, like, full-on rebuild mode, but it would have been nice for them. Like, it it says something when they're not supporting their young quarterback by, you know, surrounding him with talent and weapons, right? Is it the fact that they don't believe in him? Is it the fact that maybe they felt like, you know, this draft was predicated on defense, they needed to fix the defense first? But, like, Justin Fields' weapons are pretty fucking shitty. Darnell Mooney's a nice player, don't get me wrong. Equinemius St. Brown, he's the shittier of the St. Brown brothers. Byron Pringle, you know, chips. Dude, I don't even want to hear anymore. If it gets, it can't get better after Pringle. I I have to read some of these names of these receivers, bro, because this is Velas Jones Jr., who they drafted out of Tennessee. Don't care. Daz Newsom, Isaiah Coulter, Nasimba Webster, Kevin Shaw, and Henry Litwin. Wow. So, I mean, (laughs) you know what this means? Montgomery is once again going to be a top 10 ball carrier. Motherfucking Oh, and not to mention their starting right guard this year, helping out Justin Fields, Dakota Dozier, the worst oh, lineman maybe in the history of the Minnesota wow. Vikings football. Like, wow. it doesn't make any sense. So, yes, if their defense makes tremendous strides and, like, they're successful, then sure, long-term, you know, the draft was successful. But this, this to me, like, I don't know, slowly, like, oozes of, I don't know what, the organization actually thinks of Justin Fields. Like, do they think he's the answer? Like if they were truly all in on him, why would they not surround him with help? They didn't, they didn't surround him with anything. Nobody that he's throwing the football to makes me excited. Cole Komet. I know you love him. Show it. I'm not excited about that. I'm not excited about that. I'm not excited about anybody on their offense. It almost makes me not excited about David Montgomery because they can just put eight in the box now. They can put eight in the box, and Justin Fields is going to have to throw the ball to Daz Newsome. One does not simply not get excited <laughs> over David Montgomery. Uh, hey, I had him last year too, man. He's a stud. He's a stud. But, dude, I don't know, man. Chicago, you're spot on, Chauvet. They did not help Justin Fields in the slightest. Yeah, that was terrible. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the other team that I have, last team, is going to be uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. The Cincinnati Bengals – in the first pick at Daxon Hill, safety from Michigan. I think that was a, a good pick. But on the second pick of the a second round, 28th pick, they get Cam Taylor Britt, which is also a safety from Nebraska. And then from the fifth pick, fifth round, 23rd pick, Tyson Anderson, which is also a safety from Toledo. So I'm not really sure what the strategy was here. <laughs> I thought the strategy would be to help, um, you know, Burrow and not be sacked 11 times in the game. Uh, the only tackle that they got is the offensive tackle Cordell Volson from North Dakota State. So I would have liked to see them, you know, help out uh, Joe Burrow out a little bit more so they can get to that promised land and actually win in that promised land. But hey, I'm not the GM. Yeah. So two things on that. One, I think I don't I don't know that they needed to go offensive line just because they did a good job in free agency. Lyle Collins. They did get Lyle Collins. Yeah, that's a huge upgrade. They got Lyle Collins at right tackle and and Alex Cap at right guard, right? So their right side basically was all free free agency. Uh, I agree that the left side's not amazing. It's also not like the worst it's been. So it's steadily improving. But the thing about their draft pick show it, Daxton Hill is a hybrid. He can play safety. He can play cornerback. There's times we love that and there's times we hate that. I know it's hard to wear, you know, wear both hats, but when you can do it successfully, we love it. We love guys that can do both. The NFL is so evolving that like they like gadget guys that can do everything, right? You can play linebacker, you can play safety, you can play nickel corner, you can play receiver, you can play running back. So when you start having all these guys on offense that can play receiver, but line up in the backfield, you start to try to get guys on defense that can like literally shadow that guy. Hey, if he's in the backfield, you're covering him. If he's on outside, you're covering him. If he's inside, you're covering him. To me, Dax Hill could do things like that. So I do really like him. 
Cam Taylor Britt, anytime a player from Nebraska gets drafted, I have a weird like Homer, but it's a negative Homer because Nebraska sucks. Cam Taylor Britt was the only player on their entire defense that stood out to me. Like he's a good player. He actually played, he didn't play safety, but he played a lot of nickel corner as well. So I think he's also the hybrid. So they're trying to do this weird hybrid situation. Mm -hmm. Tyson Anderson. I have no idea that I do not know, but I think the top two picks have a chance, but I agree with you. There's not enough depth at the bottom of their draft to warrant that if Cam Taylor, like I think Dax Hill will be a good player but I'm not sold on Cam Taylor Britt. So after Dax Hill, their entire draft could be basically nothing like a useless draft. All they got was one guy who can play safety in nickel corner. So yeah, you're, you're not wrong. It's almost like Cincinnati was like, Oh, you know, we're already good. Like we were at the Super Bowl last year. We're just going to repeat and get there again. So I don't like that mindset, but I think the reason maybe they didn't attack offensive line is because they signed those two players in, uh, in free agency. Yeah, the Bengals aren't making a Super Bowl. That's not. No, it's that incredibly fun. difficult. That was like, fun while it lasted. Yeah, it's really tough. It's really, really tough. Um, that's it, right? That's what you got to show it. That's all I've got. Um, I mean, I, I have one other thing that I wanted to add. I, sh- uh, I should have mentioned this earlier with the players, but um, Brock Purdy, <laughs> quarterback uh, from Iowa State. Iowa, Iowa State. Yeah, Mr. Irrelevant. This guy was drafted by the San Francisco 49ers as the last pick of this year's draft. I watched his highlights. Do yourself a favor. Bad. <laughs> Did you, it's bad. I didn't even watch his highlights, bro. I, wa- I watched him play. He is so bad. Is like, he really? Yes, he is god awful. He's slow. He can't process anything. I mean, this guy was the classic, you know, undrafted practice squad. Yeah, he'll he'll run the practice squad for you, but he's not going to be anything. And for some reason, you know, he drafted it. They got, he that's got crazy because that's the complete opposite of what I was about to say. Because I, I I I was like, the last pick is the quarterback. So I watched his highlights. I'm talking like they uh, obviously it's highlights, right? I mean, but this guy had some plays that like the ball was just you know right where the receiver needed it to be obviously you know you're playing Iowa I mean playing Iowa State I guess that's a not fairly decent yeah, yeah not, not terrible so I thought it was pretty impressive it was like this guy's got some you know could look if, if he some- becomes if he can become something great he would be the best last pick in, you know in history of yeah, being be a quarterback He'd be the best seventh rounder. He'd be the best. He'd be the latest quarterback to ever be worth a shit. Yeah. So he's, he's got a lot of uphill battle to climb. Just, Let me tell just you. like the hand conversation. Yeah. <laughs> if, he, if they could be, they would be great. I'm sorry well, to waste your bubble show of it. He is not going to be good. I, I will, I will stamp that on this podcast. He, did, he doesn't even have a pretty good chance. <laughs> I know he's got a pretty good chance to be fucking awful. <laughs> oh man. Brock, I mean, he is playing. He is playing behind uh, Garoppolo, and mm-hmm. Lance apparently is not doing too well in 49er land, is what I've read as of yesterday. So, I don't know. They just started doing their practices, and apparently he's coming in not hot. So, maybe Purdy's going to make do something there. I don't prove know. me wrong. Prove me wrong, Purdy. I will love it if you prove me wrong. But, dude, I, I watch a lot of Iowa State because I watch Big 12 football, man. He is bad. He's very, very bad. And, yet, like you said, highlights. Yeah, I could pull up highlights for Joe Webb. Joe at quarterback and we'd be like yeah. holy shit this guy's fast he's got a cannon holy shit and then and then you'd see it all together on like over 60 minutes and be like oh he's not a quarterback he's very bad but i don't know man i i hope you're right i i think i it, i'm waiting for the day i can't think of has there ever been a mr irrelevant that's actually like played or like been even remotely decent I think that there has but like you know back in the day or something i'm not really sure i pulled Accurate. up a, yeah 
Uh, I'll have to look. But I mean, don't don't you want to hear Tim Collins words? And now this guy here, last pick of the draft, Mister Irrelevant. You know, I just want to. That's what I want to hear. That's, that's hey, right. <laughs> yeah, this is a guy that has a chip on his shoulder, right? I mean, you're looking at a guy in college. He can make all the throws. Sure, he doesn't Ryan have stuff. suck up. Ryan Suckup is the most legendary Mr. Relevant of all time. He was selected 256th in 2009 by the Chiefs. Still a kicker in the NFL, right? He still plays? Uh, I don't know if Suckup still kicks. I don't think so. Man, Suckup. Oh, wait. Tampa Bay? Does he? I don't know. I think he does, right? Yeah, yeah. He still plays for the Bucks. Mr. Relevant, 13 years later, is still the kicker for the team that drafted him. Damn, just won kudos. a Super Bowl. Wow. Kudos, suck up. You're the new, you're the new kick god. That's pretty yeah. damn impressive. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Let's see. Let's see if Brock Purdy can take the mantle as the best Mr. Relevant of all time. But that's it. That's that's our five best, five worst drafts per team and overall players. Um, it's gonna be a slower offseason moving forward because the draft's over. Thursday, I think the NFL announces their schedule release. So that'll be interesting to see. Uh, I think the Vikings have a London game against the Saints this year. Yeah. So uh, that should be exciting. But yeah, other than that, it's going to be, you know, slowly treading into like mini camp and OTAs and all that shit till we get into preseason and, and, and all that crap. So uh, the content hopefully won't stop. Thank you guys so much for all of the support. We live, eat, breathe, sleep football. There's nothing that makes me happier than coming on this podcast and talking about football with you guys. So um, thank you guys so much for all the support. We're the only playbook. Peace. Thank you.